first of all, he will around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Um, you can listen to our programs on Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all one word, keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com. You can also find us on iHeartRadio, um, which is iHeartRadio.com under their pad, uh, podcast tab, and just search Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. And, of course, we're on other several different uh, platforms across uh, uh, the Internet world. But we have over 180 programs. Uh, that you can download, listen to at your convenience. I mean, we've got uh, uh, athletes, uh, coaches, uh, entertainers, uh, musicians, um, uh, artists. I mean, uh, we've, we've kind of branched out a little bit of everywhere, but most of our uh, goodies are about basketball. And um, every one of my interviews I have, I have like six degrees of separation. Um, and today's guest is going to be uh, Coach Jennifer Hoover, who is the head women's basketball coach at Wake Forest University. And uh, we are going to uh, chat with her today. And my six degrees of separation with that is um, John Hoover is her husband, who is the son of Jerry Hoover, who used to be a former assistant at Indiana State University head coach at Ben Davis and still currently a head basketball coach for Blackford in the state of Indiana. Uh, so I have my bases covered today for our interview, and, and Coach Hoover, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us, keeping the nostalgia alive, talking about your uh, uh, your life in basketball and uh, what's ahead at Wake Forest University. Well, thanks for having me. Um, tell us a little bit uh, about where you were born and raised, uh, a little bit about your family, uh, and who introduced you to the game of basketball. Okay, well, I, I was born in Roanoke, Virginia, um, and I'm the youngest of three. I have an older brother and older sister. Um, went to William Byrd High School in Benton, Virginia, and you know, uh, grew up all my life in that area, in the Roanoke area, and then went to college at Wake Forest. And upon graduation from Wake and, and being blessed to have a pretty good career, I played a year overseas in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, which, to be honest, for me, was just too far away from mom, dad, brother, sister, and too just too too much of an adjustment for me. So one year was enough of that. I uh, decided to hang up the shoes and get out a whistle and joined a, uh, a former coach who recruited me to, to uh, be an assistant coach out at UMKC, and that's kind of how the coaching career starts. Basketball itself, um, you know, I think I, I started playing when I was eight years old, and in Roanoke, if you were nine, you could play in the girls' rec league. But if you were eight, you could play in the boys' rec league. So my first year, I played on an all-boys team. Uh, I had my hair cut just as short as theirs and, and fit right in and wore a little T-shirt underneath my jersey and, you know, learned and, and sat the bench mostly, but had a lot of fun playing. Most of the boys were my friends because I was kind of a um, – I followed in my brother's footsteps a little bit more and was one of those that was outside playing with all of his friends all the time and a little bit of a tomboy. And after that year, then switched over and played in the girls' leagues. But uh, my brother and my father both coached my sister and I at one point or another during our careers uh, in rec leagues. And then you know, I played all sports growing up. I played soccer. I played softball. I played basketball. Um, 
I even played a little bit of football, not really, but when I showed up with my brother's practice, the football coach was generous enough to give me a helmet and act like I was going to play, but I didn't do that. I don't think mom would have let that happen anyway. Um, but it was, you know, we, we were a really close family growing up and, and we pretty much did everything together. So everywhere one of us went, we all went. And, you know, I was blessed in that situation to be raised in a in a very close t- knit family. So um, I've always been a part of a family or a group. And I think that's part of what being a coach and being in basketball, it's all I know. It's, all, it's been my life. So I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to do it. You know, in the state of Indiana, you know, up until 1997, I think, you know, it was a, a one, you know, everybody competed and there was one true state champion. And now it's, you know, set up by classes. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about what um, high school basketball was like in Virginia. Was it set up by classes? Uh, and tell us a little bit about your high school basketball career. Yes, ours was set up by classes and we were one of the last states for the women's game to play in the fall. And I actually grew up playing basketball in the fall. Um, So that was unique for me. I didn't know anything different. So I thought that's what everybody was doing, but we played, we started basketball before high school started. We would have uh, practice two weeks before and we had two a days and three a days. And we were going there same as the football team was practicing and, and our season was over before Christmas. And then we started volleyball season. Uh, I was very fortunate. I joined when I got to high school. I played on a team that had a lot of talent, and we um, we went to the state tournament twice. Came up short once on our home court with kind of a mysterious whistle blown in the stands that one of our players thought was an official. A kid took it out of her hands and went and scored a layup to win the game. So it's a little controversy, still a little bitter. You know, still a little hard to think about. <laughs> it was my chance at a state title. Uh, my senior year, we went to state two, and we kind of got upset in the regionals. But it was. Um, you know, it was classes. We were double A. Um, we, we traveled a little bit within it. We didn't really travel out of the state ever to play in any kind of tournaments or anything. But you went to your districts and then your regionals and then your state tournament. But there were multiple state champions. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I still have a lot of fond memories of my high school career. My We were called the Twin Towers. My running mate went to Roanoke College and was an All-American there as well. And, and now coaches lacrosse, I believe, at Ferrum. And her husband coaches the basketball team there at Ferrum College in Virginia. But um, I've heard a lot about the uh, Indiana situation. My husband is an old school and, and misses that one state champion. Uh, is not a biggest fan of the class situation as it, as, it, as it is there now. So it's funny you ask that. Um, was there, you know, women's basketball was just right, really getting to flourish probably right you know, when you were at your uh, peak there in high school, was did you did you follow women's basketball? Did you follow men's basketball? Did you have a favorite college that you followed? Did you when you were out shooting on your hoop or playing ball, was there a uh, was there a player that you emulated or that you enjoyed watching, or or was it just you know you know what I'm just going to make it about uh, you know what I have to work with and what I'm doing and myself. Well, I, you know, I loved all sports, and, and our family was the same. My brother was a football player and a wrestler. My sister played basketball and volleyball with me. Um, they would all say, I'm the one that got all the hype. Um, I was 6'2", growing, you know, through high school, I was already 6'2", and my older brother and sister both stopped at 5'10", so they were a little bitter towards that. Um, but my sister was a year older than me. We played throughout. Um, you know, college sports have always been like my favorite thing to watch on TV to this day. It's really been a struggle in the last month to not have that outlet, whether it's watching, um, the NCAA tournament, which is one of the highlights of the year for my husband and I both being such basketball junkies, but, you know, growing up in Virginia, 
at the time, I was following women's basketball, JMU. Uh, Sheila Norman had a top 20 program. Debbie Ryan had a top 20 program at Virginia. Uh, you know, I had never really thought about playing in college when I was playing in high school. I was the first in my family to go to college, so I, it wasn't something that our family had instill, instilled in me that you go to high school, then you go to college. It was just playing for fun, and, and I was pretty good at it. And so uh, I used to love to watch the the Virginia teams with Ralph Sampson and Rick Carlisle, Ricky Stokes, but also loved the Georgia Tech teams with Bobby Crimmins back in the day and um, just watched a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, college sports football. Um, at the time, I was a little bit more of an NFL fan too, but as, as more of just a college fan now. Um, and, and I would say my favorite players back then, I didn't follow the women's game like that to have a favorite player in the women's game when I was first growing up. Um, but I, I ended up being a huge Jordan fan. Uh, I ended up wearing 23 when I got to Wake Forest only because my number was already taken. I was 20 all through my high school career and someone at Wake already had the number, but I uh, became a huge Michael Jordan fan and stayed that way. And to this day, he's still my all time favorite men's player uh, out there. So um, you know, it's just kind of ingrained in us now, the basketball piece. And like I said, all sports, our daughter is a horseback rider. So we've kind of opened up that avenue of sports in our life. Um, but she also plays basketball and volleyball as well. Well, basketball and volleyball are probably cheaper to do than horses, right? <laughs> yeah, very, very, very. <laughs> and Coach, the weather doesn't affect them at all. <laughs> Coach, what was it, what was it like? Um, uh, when did you get on the map for recruiting? And do you remember your first letter or your first college contact? And what other jersey would you have possibly worn besides Wake Forest? Well, it's it's interesting. I don't think I ever really thought about it. And then as like back when back then when you were when you were able to be recruited, coaches could come to every game. They didn't have a limit on how many games they could see you play or not. And so I think my first letter I ever got was from the University of California, which um, many people probably laughed at because my high school coach knew me and knew my family very well and knew that probably wasn't going to go further than, you know, a couple hours from home. Um, but I remember getting that, that letter from the University of California. And this was back when they would send the big envelopes with, you know, a pamphlet brochure and color pictures. And, you know, I was all excited and couldn't wait to show mom and dad. And, you know, then Tennessee was a powerhouse. I, I got, when I got my letter from Pat Summit, you know, that was a big monumental moment for me. Um, until I realized that they had spelled my name wrong, it was Jerry Mitchell instead of Jenny Mitchell. And that kind of was a little bit like, oh, well, you know, at first I was like, well, wait a second. Then I was like, wait, it's Tennessee. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> um, you know, but then as it started to kind of, as I started to get into like my junior year and really realized that that's probably what my path was going to be, um, my, my high school coach, Richard Thrasher, who coached me all four years and, you know, really appreciate everything he did for me in my career sat down with myself and a couple of the seniors and, and said, you know, where do you want to, you know, we're, we're going to go to team camp. We're somewhere you're, he sat down with me individually and asked, we're somewhere you're genuinely interested in. Let's go there for team camp. And we had been to Roanoke college and we've been to Virginia tech before. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I don't remember the thought process on it, but wake was one of those. And I was, and so we ended up going to wake Forest team camp uh, that summer. And it's funny because we went to camp and Lisa Stockton, who's one of the great, who's one of our great, all-time players here at Wake Forest and is the head coach at Tulane now and has had a very successful career down there in New Orleans. She was our team camp, our coach at camp because in Virginia, you weren't allowed, your high school coach wasn't allowed to coach you in the summer, even at team camp. So she was our coach. We had a great time. I will say I came away saying I would never go to Wake Forest because the dorms weren't air conditioned and it was burning up hot in there. And I'm not a fan of 
I love hot weather, but I love to be inside in the air conditioning or outside in the hot weather. I don't want to be inside in hot weather. So uh, it's kind of funny that I said that, but met a lot of great people on that. Alice Neal, uh, Amy Privet, who's now Amy Privet Perko, who's worked on the Knights Commission and several things. They were all kind of the camp counselors and the current team when I was there. And so when it came down to, for me to make a decision, it really came down to, to four schools. It came down to JMU, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and Wake Forest. So that, that two-hour radius pretty much from Roanoke was what I leaned on. And really, those are the only four I've considered and did any kind of unofficials or visits with. And two of them were recruiting me to play both volleyball and basketball. Um, Virginia Tech and James Madison were both trying to get me to play. I was getting recruited by either one or the other or both. Um, Virginia Tech was in the Metro then. JMU was top 20 program, like I spoke earlier with Sheila Norman. Um, and they were recruiting me, and, and Sheila told me she wasn't going to let me play volleyball. And at, at Virginia Tech, I think the Virginia Tech coach, the volleyball coach, told me she wouldn't let me play basketball too, especially not the first year. So that, that's how those two kind of got eliminated. Uh, I didn't want to go to a lesser conference in the ACC unless I could play both. And so then it became Virginia and Wake, and, and I actually had official visits set up for both. Um, Virginia played in three Final Fours while I was here at Wake Forest. So when I finally went to work at Virginia with Debbie Ryan, she she always jokingly told me I finally saw the light. Um, I still think Wake was the obviously was the right choice for me. I had a great career here. Uh, I think it's the best place on earth. That's why I'm back here as the head coach and in my dream job. And uh, you know, it, it, I ended up not even going on the visit to Virginia after I visited Wake. About a week later, I called and and committed to Coach Sanchez and. Uh, Joe Sanchez was my coach all four years here and then uh, you know had to cancel my visit to to Virginia but Debbie understood that and you know when I was being recruited by Virginia was back when um, Gino was he wasn't an assistant assistant then but he was running Gino Ariama from UConn was running five was working five-star camps at Charlene Curtis and um, Dave Odom were running at Radford University's campus and that's one of my fa- highlights and favorite memories of growing up and kind of going through the recruiting process and going through just development of basketball was my weeks that I would spend at five-star camp up at Radford and David Glass, who, ended up, who I ended up working with my first job, first job as a coach was one of my camp counselors. And I always credit him for teaching me the jump hook. And that's how I scored a lot of my points in college. I had a left and a right hand jump hook that was pretty much unblockable and unstoppable. If I was, you know, once I learned how to use it after my freshman year and, um, you know, and it's just, it's kind of unique, you know, when you look back at some of the people that I had a chance to kind of interact with and be involved with and what their, where their careers have gone now, I just feel really, really blessed. So, Coach, you know, at, growing up, and, and I, I've, I've struggled with this question, you know, uh, uh, there, there's a song called Walk a Mile in My Shoes. When I was in high school, I would play basketball uh, against girls. And um, uh, unless you do that, um uh, and I, I've played against an All-American, Vicki Hall, who uh, uh, is the current head coach at Indiana State University. Unless you do that, uh, is there is there kind of a uh, and and, I, and don't take this the wrong way. Is there kind of a chip on your shoulder when you do a pickup game with guys when when as a girl, or is there is there something to prove, or it, how how does how does how does that work? And is there a stigma to to men's basketball and women's basketball? Could you kind of explain how you've been kind of associated with that? Well, I, I think, you know, basketball is basketball, but the games are played a little bit differently. The men's game is played so much above the rim and not as much in high school, but the women's game is so much more fundamentally um, passing himself than his share in the ball, some of that kind of stuff. 
um, for me, you know, I, I always thought it, and I think it, our kids do a great job of it as well. It, it's great to play against guys. Um, you know, I ended up playing once I finished playing and came back home. I played in a co-ed church league that our church had to ask permission for me to even get in and play. And of course, the other churches were like, "Sure, we don't care if a girl plays in this league." Like they, I don't think they even thought anything about it. Well, then after we got into it and they saw who I was and what I could do, <laughs> they came a little bit more rumblings then, a lot more competitive about, oh, well, wait a second now. But, um, you know, very accepting. And, and I think it's just a matter of, you know, when you're playing those, what kind of guys are you playing with? Are they out there to really prove something or not? And, you know, we're, we here at Wake Forest, in most places I've been, a, you know, a coach throughout the years, rely on men's scout teams to practice against every day. I just think it, it, helps, our, it helps our players understand um, bigger, stronger, faster, you know, it helps them, it helps us get, you know, a little toughness, a little more toughness to us and that kind of stuff. So I definitely think, you know, when you're a female out there trying to, to show that the game, you're as equally as good, there's a different difference in that still between the men's and the women's. So uh, it's a lot of fun, though. I think most guys, like our scout team, is, it, takes a, it takes a certain kind of guy to play on your scout teams because they have to understand they're not out there trying to make the men's basketball team every day. Uh, but we want them to play hard and challenge our kids every day. And, you know, and, and they're great because we'll tell them, you know, we need you to do this. Even if they're a right-handed kid, look, I got, you got to be a left-handed player today. And we've got a great bunch here at Wake that do a great job of really helping us prepare for opponents. Uh, you, you know, it was only a couple hours away, but once you arrive on the Wake Forest uh, campus, were, were you a little homesick or what was your first welcome to, <laughs> to Division One basketball moment? Uh, I was very homesick, even though it was two hours away. Um, I remember when my parents, you know, us being close enough, they did drive me down, drop me off to, you know, go to Walmart, get everything set up, go to dinner, and then and then pretty much pulled off and pulled away. And it was my parents and my sister. And I remember sitting, I was in a single in Johnson Hall. And I, I remember sitting in my room after they had left and just sitting on the floor and crying because mom and dad were gone and my sister was gone. Well, five seconds later, there's a knock on my door. And of course, I didn't want him to see me cry, so I opened the door, and it's my sister, and I was like, you know, embarrassed that she was seeing me cry, but she had forgot to tell me something about, she forgot to leave me money or something, mom and dad, and they just ran it in. So um, I think it was really a unique situation for our family because we are so close. Um, the next morning, my mom was cooking breakfast before they w- they had to go to work, and my dad came into the kitchen, and he was boohooing, and mom didn't know what was wrong with him, and, and it was, my baby's gone. And so that's just kind of what our family was about and how we were. So even though it was two hours, it was tough on me, uh, especially initially. Uh, my sister went off to join the Air Force and uh, was in the Philippines. I uh, left for the Philippines one year while I was here. It might have been my sophomore year. And I remember calling my mom and crying on the phone to her. And they were close enough that, you know, that was in the afternoon. Well, that night they were here and took me to dinner. And I was fine after I had dinner with my parents. It's just It was just the emotion of knowing my sister was moving across the world. Um, so that was tough. Uh, you know, I, it's funny because as I went through my career, my, my father did not miss one single game of my college career. He had, he was at every single game, uh, whether it was here, whether it was in the great Alaskan shootout, whether it was over in Santa Clara, it didn't, didn't matter where it was. He was there. My mom only missed a handful. She worked for row furniture there in Salem and didn't have quite as the flexibility. My dad who worked for Norfolk and Southern for 30 plus years and had plenty of time. He could take off and, and travel the world with us a little bit. So, um, you know, I, I ended up figuring it out and getting through that. And then I think most people were shocked when they knew I was going to try to play overseas because they just knew how close and how hard that was on me initially. And I will say that the first flight I ever took to Sweden was probably the longest flight I've ever been on. And I don't know if I, I, I probably cried the entire flight, 
Uh, I know multiple flight attendants came by to ask if I was okay, if was there anything they could do. Uh, I talked to my mom five day, five times the first day I was there. And then a month later, after I kind of figured it out and got figured out that everything was, I could do this on my own. And I always say that was probably one of the biggest monumental moments of years of my life because it made me kind of grow up and realize I don't have to have my parents come and have dinner with me. I can, I can call them and they're fine and I'm fine and that kind of thing. And so that was, uh, that was part of that for me, but you know, the two hour distance was, was all going to make it for me. So what, you know, in, in, in playing in the ACC, did you have any, wow, I can't believe I'm, uh, I'm playing division one women's yeah. basketball. Well, and I think that, you know, when I first got to, to, um, to wake, I was fortunate. I came into a team that had some really good seniors and had uh, a young lady, Lisa Dodd, that was about an inch taller than me. And, and she was from um, California, uh, California, New York. She was in California now, but she was, she was uh, tough to play against. My roommate from college, Sarah White, was a kid that came in from Indiana that was 6'2", same kind of, we came in as freshmen together. And she was a really physical kind of, um, made me a lot tougher as a player. But I think the big moment was when we went down to play at Georgia Tech and made a kid named Dolores Boots who was six eight, six something like that. And one of the first times I went to shoot it, she swatted it. And so I, I quickly learned that jump hook that Coach Glass had taught me back at Five Star. I needed to kind of master that as I was going to continue to play in the league and play. I was mostly a back-to-the-basket player, and then I really uh, took a lot of pride in outrunning other post players and getting transition baskets. So. That was definitely a wake-up call there, though, because, you know, in high school I very rarely got blocked. I was one of the taller players on the on the court and just really valued playing really extremely hard and just, you know, giving it up. I was one of those kids that dove on the floor. If there was any chance we could get a ball, I was going to dive on the floor, much to my mom's probably, um, you know, chagrin because she probably would have preferred that I would save my knees and elbows and some of that a little bit but and my coach, but it, it all worked out. Um, was it during your uh, college basketball career? That, when did that light go off of, uh, on the top of your head? You know, I, I think I would like to coach the game. You know, when I was in high school, when I went to Wake, I kind of thought I would probably, I think because what I was exposed to was my high school coach, and, you know, I didn't know much more than that. So I had thought about going, you know, when I went to Wake Forest, I was going to major in education and become a teacher and, and coach high school. Um just because I enjoyed the game so much, you know, I, it, it was, I thought I was kind of an extension of the coach on the court, even though I wasn't a point guard, I was definitely kind of a captain and someone who talked all the time on the floor and it just came natural for me. And so when I got to wake and then kind of realized, I don't know that education is where I wanted to necessarily go. I, I kind of got to be exposed to what, you know, I had a great relationship with my assistant coaches, my head coach, and I got to see kind of the way they interacted, how they were able to still have families and, and kind of combine both. And now they weren't in a classroom teaching. Their classroom was practice and watching film and meeting with players. And so I think that's when it first kind of had dawned on me that that's what I would eventually like to do. You know, I knew I wanted to play as long as I could. And at the time, the WNBA was not an option. The only option was to go overseas. Um, and so when, you know, I did, I definitely wanted to do that and say I, I did it and I had an opportunity and was good enough and that kind of thing. And that, that was a little bit of just self uh, acknowledgement, knowing that I could do it, and and you know, still very thankful for that. I still have some great relationships with. I ended up living with a family while I was there, which kind of saved me, um, and and just a great experience. But when I came back from playing, I knew that that was the path I wanted to take with coaching. I wasn't sure how to get into it exactly. I spent a year traveling with a group called Athletes in Action. That is, um, you know, a, a faith-based uh, basketball team. It's, it uses sports to kind of be able to witness to others and. 
um, and working communities and that kind of stuff. And they were doing a college tour as exhibition games back then because, you know, we were, as colleges, they were struggling that you were playing international teams or, or lower level teams. And so we did a, about an 18 team um, bus tour with the, with uh, an elite level of squad that we had a blast. We lost one game. We lost to Cheryl Swoops, Texas Tech team, and that was the year they won the national championship. Um, but had a blast doing that with both the teammates and just the experience of being on a team again and traveling by bus. I mean, we, we drove from, gosh, we drove across ten- to Tennessee, across the mountains on a bus and one night and some snow that was a little bit of a, you know, definitely a faith-based trip there. But uh, And then I actually had a privilege to go to Australia with that same group. It was a little bit different team because roster-wise, who was already working or moved on or done something. But uh, in the spring of that year, we took a two-week trip to Australia. We trained down in Atlanta for a little bit of time. Um, and then and then after that, and I was working at Row Furniture where my mom worked kind of just part-time. And when I wasn't traveling with those guys, I was able to work there and data entry slash some other things and knew then right then and there that that was not going to be <laughs> what I wanted to do I did not want to sit behind a desk I didn't want to um you know be behind a phone all the time just sitting at a desk and so uh, I went to Richmond to the final four uh with with Sarah my roommate from college who was coaching at the time she was an assistant at Louisville um with Bud Childers and uh she said well come on up and stay with me and so I can't I went up there stayed in uh stayed in the hotel with her you know, got exposed to a Final Four. That was the one where Charlotte Smith hit the game winner for Carolina to beat Louisiana Tech. Um, and ran into Coach Glass while I was there, who uh, had recruited me extremely hard to VCU at the time. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to go there, even though it was close enough. It wasn't kind of the, the college campus atmosphere I was looking for. But he was, again, the guy who taught me my jump hook and worked with me at Five Stars. And uh, and he had asked me, what, you know, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I just got back from playing overseas and doing athletes in action, and I think I want to get in coaching. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, about a month later, he called because his GA had moved on, and he had a graduate assistant spot at University of Missouri, Kansas City. So uh, I took the job on the phone, and, and, you know, my parents loaded the car up and loaded me up a couple months later, and I moved to Kansas City for my first job, first coaching job, and spent two years there. So Was that the Kangaroos? Yep, yep, the ruse. Did you live on the Missouri side or did you live on the Kansas side? Uh, I lived really close to campus. I actually rented a kind of attic top floor apartment uh, in a like an A-frame house almost. And it was funny because when I went to – I found it over the Internet. And then when I went there, the lady looked at me like, I don't know if this will work for you because you're so tall. You're only going to be able to walk in the middle of the room. And I was like, it's perfect because it wasn't – I didn't need much. It was just me by myself. I didn't have a lot. Um and it was it was like uh, the campus was on. It was like ten blocks away from campus, and you know I was I, I had a car that I you know got when I got back from playing overseas. I had a little hot red Mustang. I thought I was you know I thought I had arrived. I was all excited about my little red Mustang. And so when it snowed, it was a struggle for me. But luckily, it was a straight shot because I don't drive in it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was pretty close. It was nice. I, I loved the Country Club Plaza. Really enjoyed kind of that. And and by then I was fine. I, I didn't get homesick in that situation at all. And it was kind of neat to see that because you know it still was, um, you know, a, a far enough away from home. But uh, I spent two years out there. I was first year I was a GA. The second year our GA had moved on, so I got moved up to full time assistant. And then Coach Glass got offered the head job back at Virginia Commonwealth, which was where he was an assistant originally. And when he did, um, our AD, Lee Hunt, brought me in and wanted me to stay and be the head coach. He offered me the job, and I just told him, I said, I'm so honored and, and grateful that you think I'm ready for that, but I just don't think I am. 
uh, I was just, I mean, again, I'd been coaching for two years. I had no idea kind of what I was doing. So I, you know, politely regret declined it and followed coach glass back home to Virginia and spent two years with him there at BCU before I moved on down to East Carolina. So, well, you know, before we continue on with your, your, uh, you know, coaching your, and your ascension to where you are today with Wake Forest, I mean, you were a fast-break All-American. You were All-ACC in 89, <laughs> 90, 91. You were academic All-ACC in 91. You were named one of the ACC Top 50 players. And, of course, in 2002, you were um, um, named to the Wake Forest uh, uh, Sports Hall of Fame. When you kind of, and you know, th- th- this is what these interviews are about, but th- do, you, do you still kind of get, when you, when you think about all those accolades as a player, did, were you, uh, and you also, of course, you were, uh, uh, have been getting some of those accolades during your coaching career too, but did, do you kind of get goosebumps or you kind of, do you look back on it or do you kind of just move forward from, from those playing days and those honors? And, and what does that mean to you for, to be named those things? Well, you know, it, it, meant, it meant a lot to myself and I think to my team because I, I was very fortunate to, I, th- I think ultimately in, in, in the profession I'm in now, I made the right decision on where I went to college. And, you know, in a day where now there's so many transfers out there, I'm so blessed that I didn't go through that at all. I felt like it was the right fit for me school-wise. It was the right fit for me teammates. It was the right fit for me playing style-wise, the conference I wanted to play in. And, and I was blessed to be able to come in and have the success I did and, a lot of it's because I played with some great kid, great players, and I uh, my coaching coaching staff really put me in a position to be successful, and it's much of what I kind of patterned my coaching philosophy about. And I played for a guy that was very positive, uh, wasn't a yeller and screamer, didn't cuss us out, didn't do. I mean, I just that 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 to me is not coaching. Uh, it's not the way I believe in coaching, and and so uh, you know I do look back on it and really fond of it. It was funny because when I first got the wake as a coach, I was still the career points and rebounding leader and I was you know I kind of just shook my head like there's no way that record is still standing it's been 20 years like this is unbelievable and my goal when I got to be the head coach here was that I was going to find multiple players that are going to break that well I was very blessed to coach Erica Hamby who was a first round WBA draft pick who uh, I was coaching when she broke the records and you know our joke kind of all year was I'm going to take you out when you get close you know that right (laughs) and uh and she was very blessed. She's a very blessed uh, player, and, and you know it's it's been a unique thing because you know it's it's always been about our team and what they do, not about what I had done there. Um, and I've always tried to make that the 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 main thing because I'm a part of the history and the foundation that was laid in the women's basketball. But there's many greats that went before me. Amy Privet Perko had the record before I got it, and we've got Hall of Famers Roper Halverson and several others that have really laid the foundation for what Wake Forest women's basketball is. And we've kind of always been an underdog. And so I think it's important to, to really pay. It's very important to me as an alum that all of our alums feel a part of our, our current team and our current uh, facilities and the current things that we, our, our players have the privilege and are blessed to experience every day. You know, as a coach, you know, and I've, I've interviewed several, you know, I've always asked, and it's always basically the same question or same answer, but I'd like to hear yours. Is is, is it kind of like a, uh, you know, in your ascension to uh, the head coaching job at Wake Forest, uh, at each stop, are, are you thinking about the next stop? Are you focusing on what you're doing then? And is it kind of like a domino effect and you just kind of, you, you kind of just let it ride until, you know, where you're at today? 
Well, I think the one of the keys is you, as as I started to get into the business was my, you know, I don't remember who told me or where I heard it, but make the current job you have the best job in the country. And that was the approach I always took from being a GA um, to, you know, make, I want to be the best GA I can be and, and just thrive in this situation. I'm working on my master's. I'm learning how to coach. I'm in practice. I'm doing all this. But you know, I think as you, as a, as a player and as a part of sports, you, you always have these goals that you kind of put out there, both short-term and long-term goals that you're trying to reach for. And I think, you know, the key was staying in a moment and be where your feet are and, and really making every job you have and every place you have the best job so that you're not, I think the people that make mistakes out there in, in this profession and, and probably in all professions are the one that's you know, got one foot in and the other foot's always looking for the grass is greener on the other side. And, and unfortunately, that I think that also goes back to that transfer portal stuff with, with the college athletes in today's world, too. It's just, you know, again, be be happy and grateful for where you are and what you have. And, and then, the, then when things open up, you have to make some tough decisions. And one of the things um, that my husband and I, once we were married and got married in 2001 and our career choices and paths and decisions then were made jointly, was we never wanted to be running from something. You always had to be, any move had to be because we were going to something, not trying to get away from something. And, and again, I think that goes in that same philosophy of you're not trying to get away from something if you're making it the best job out there. And it might not be the best pay, and it might not be the best facilities and the best, but you still, your attitude has to be what is great about this job and what is great. And that's that's always kind of, that's the positive side of me. And I'm pretty much a positive person. I would say that's the way a coach is very positive. I'm the one that wants to be the first to, reward and clap about everything we do well and and yeah I have to get on them but I prefer much more to do the celebrating and and one of my first years here one of our uh, junior guards kind of was like in the ACC tournament we had a, we made a pretty good run my first one of my first couple of years here too was like coach all you're doing is cheering over here and I said exactly at this point as a coach I have to stay out of the way if I've done my job and done the things I'm supposed to have done and preparing you guys it's your turn it's, it's y'all's time to shine so I was just staying on the sidelines clearing and chatting, clearing and clapping and cheering all the time. So, you know, I think that's the key, you know, as you're trying to do anything in life is, you know, really, really flourishing and thriving where you are. And that's going to set up your future. You know, take us to that path of um, when you get named to the um, head coaching position that you're in now. And what did that mean to you? Were you kind of on cloud nine for a little while? Uh, uh, are you still on cloud nine? And just just give us a, an idea of uh, uh, what it meant to go back to Wake Forest, you know, you know, the place where you have so many accolades and, and now you're the head basketball coach. What, what was that like getting there? What was the process of getting the head coaching job? Well, it, it was it was a long process, you know, when I started coaching and, and had been in a lot of great places and had a chance to work for a lot of great mentors, um, some of the best in the game and Debbie Ryan and Joanne Boyle. Um, you know, it took me, I think I joke, we talk about this all the time, it took me 20-some years to get my first head coaching job. I'd interviewed for several others. Um, Radford University was one I interviewed for, uh, Charles College of uh, Charleston Southern, uh, Austin P. I'd interviewed a couple times, you know, three three or four times for a head coaching position, a couple phone interviews, but had not had the opportunity to get offered one of them. And you know, knew that my my time would come if I just kept grinding and doing the right things and, again, kept looking at making being the best I could be at where I was and you know coming out of Cal in what was probably one of the hardest years of my life um, we lost my father in March of um, 2011 to lung cancer and it actually happened that I was 
Um, he, he, he and my mother were with us in California because I have their only grandchild, uh, Maggie, my daughter, who turned 14 this past Saturday. It's the only grandchild on that side of the family. So he passed away out there, and Mom waited to do a, a memorial service in April. So Maggie and I had flown back and were um, over here for a week to spend with them. We, we always tied it in with some recruiting so that she just came with me. And um, when I was here, the High Point AD uh, had offered to interview me for the job at High Point, Craig Kylitz, and he was a Wake Forest guy. He had some background being at Wake Forest in administration for a while and um, interviewed with him, fell in love with that campus. It was beautiful. I had never been there before. Um, the day I, Maggie and I were supposed to leave, he had called the night before and asked if I could be there to meet with him the next morning. And, and I was like, well, sure, absolutely. We were still in Roanoke, so I drove down to High Point he offers me the job, and before I know it, I'm calling my husband, telling him, we're not coming back to California. And he's saying, what? What do you mean you're not coming back? And I was like, well, I got offered the job. And he goes, well, so come back, and we'll drive cross-country, because we drove across-country and we moved out there, because we had a, a, a Mastiff dog named Buckus, who was 125 pounds, that we couldn't imagine putting on an airplane. And I was like, well, honey, I don't think you want our five-year-old driving across-country on the way back. She was two when we went out. She was pretty easy. She was easy to drive, and he was easy, too. And so long story short, my daughter and I never went back. My husband had to pack our house up in California and he drove cross country in a, a U-Haul with our Mastiff in the front seat with him, which was quite entertaining to me because Buckus was a great dog, but he had a little stranger danger in him. So uh, he slept in the cab at night. And <laughs> I think he got here in about three days. Um, and I told him I need a picture when y'all get here. So, cause I had no idea he'd done it and moved, moved us that fast. But, uh, Long story short, we had a great, great year there. Uh, you know, I inherited some great teams, great players. Cheyenne Parker, who plays in the WNBA, was a draft pick. Aaron Reynolds and Shamia Brown. I had a point guard, a center, and a and a really um, probably our best player. Shamia Brown was an undersized four player that were really great players in that Big South. And you know, when the year ended and we we were we finished second in the league and went to the NIT. Um, when the year ended, I, I you know I was like, man, this is awesome. We'd bought a house. We kind of had decided this was where we were going to be. And then in May or in April, I get a text from a friend saying, did you see Wake Forest? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, I remember I was at Panera over in Greensboro, and I was like, and so then, of course, you go on the Internet and start surfing, and, and it had, <laughs> they had announced Mike Peterson had stepped down, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was kind of like what I do because it, it, it had been and was always my dream job. And so uh, I called the, I called my AD, Craig, because, again, he had Wake Forest ties. And as soon as I, I – uh, as soon as he answered the phone, he goes, I saw, are you interested? And he goes, I'll make a call for you. And I mean, you know, this is an AD who just hired me a year earlier and I'd signed a five-year contract. And he knew though, uh, he knew about Wake. He knew my feelings about it. He has those kind of same feelings. And so again, he was so supportive through the whole process. He called immediately over to Ron and just to find out if my, if my name was on the kind of the short list, if you will. And one thing led to another, and, and I always said it took me 20-plus years to get a head coaching job, but within 13 months, I, I had my dream job. And, uh, you know, it's it's been amazing being back. Um, people always ask what's changed. You know, we got a lot of nice new buildings, and but the things that Wake Forest, that made Wake Forest special to me when I was there was the close-knit community. You know, I was such a close family that I, I, was, I had to search that out. And those things haven't changed. It's still the people that make Wake so special, just the integrity, the class, the how connected you feel on campus and those kinds of things. And so none of that had changed. And, and so it's great being home, but also I didn't come home just to be home. I came home to win championships. And 
that's the part that's challenging. And uh, as a player, I've never backed down from a challenge. And, uh, you know, each year, it's, you know, we're, we're taking steps and, and trying to, you know, figure out exactly how we can in a, in a league that has grown exponentially since I was in it. <laughs> I mean, we now have 15 teams and some dominant ones in that. And, you know, night in, night out, it, I just have a blast. What's the hardest part about being a head coach? The hardest part for me is, well, there's two, I would say. One is the amount of time and the sacrifices you make with your family. Um, it, that, that only reason I think I'm able to do it as well as we do it is because John understands it so much. He grew up a coach's son. He's always grew up around the game. He loves the game. And with our daughter, I couldn't have done it if, I, if he couldn't have been a stay-at-home dad, if you will, because I, I don't want somebody else raising her. And John has done a great job with that, and I do as much as I can, and he helps me be as active and be present as I can be with her and have been with her. And then the second one I would say, the second hardest thing for me is there's 200 minutes in a game, and you can't play all 15 kids. And I think that's really hard as a head coach because every single one of them wants to play and every single one of our kids gives me everything they got every day in practice. But the bottom line is when it comes down to it, you, 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 keeping 12, 13, 14, 15 as, as happily involved as you can when you know the one thing that they equate to you believing in them and, and, and is playing time. So I think that's the hardest thing for me is really I love the day-to-day interaction with our players. That's been a struggle during this time for me is – I don't see our players every day. I don't see our, their smiles walk down the hallway. They don't just stop in the office to say hello. They're not in the gym, you know, getting shots up. And, and we can just walk in the gym and see them. And, you know, that day-to-day interaction and watching the impact that um, they have on, the, on my life as well as hopefully the impact, the positive impact I'm having on their lives, not only on the court but off the court as well. So, How many times has uh, uh, Coach Hoover been tossed? Uh, I've never been tossed. I get one technical a year. <laughs> I get one technical a year. That happened at NC State this year, and and I'm not. That wasn't one of my more prouder moments, just because we were in a great game and and still think we we had a shot to beat them. And they're a great team. West does a phenomenal job over there. And you know, it's just sometimes. I mean, I'm I'm one of those that's realized the more you yell at the officials, the worse they the worse they get. And I don't blame them. I mean, if somebody's yelling at me, I, I again, it's kind of my coaching philosophy. If coach is having to yell at me, then I'm not doing my job. And so those guys aren't out there trying to not do their jobs. And, and I just try to, usually it's funny. I'll have these conversations with the official. I'm yelling at you because I'm really frustrated at my team, but I'd rather not yell at them right now. And, <laughs> and, and then I'll apologize to them. That's my fault. I shouldn't take that out on you. <laughs> Coach Hoover, how do you go into a uh, prospective player's home and sell uh, Wake Forest? Well, we we really sell kind of three different things. Um, you know, first of all, that we want to we want them to come join our family. Uh, that we're more than a team, and I think that's a word that's used a lot now and almost too overused. But when people get to know me and find out what family means to me, they understand what that what that really is. Um, we sell. The um, the overall, I mean, Wake, you've got you've got a beautiful campus. You have the highest academics and the highest athletics. So you have a combination of all. We want to build leaders. We want to win championships, and then you know we want to um, uh, get earn degrees. And our kids earn their degrees and whatever they want to earn them in. We're not in a situation where we make a major in something. And 
you know, again, I, I, I have the ability to tell them I've walked in your shoes. I know, I know the rigors of what Wake Forest is. I know what the rigors of playing in the ACC is. And, you know, our kids, I think, know that I genuinely care more about them as, play, as people than I do as players. Um, and my, one of my favorite quotes out there is always, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, um, that you care about them. You know, that that, and that's always been my biggest thing is, you know, that's, that's what we sell at Wake. Uh, we're still trying to find, you know, build the tradition of um, get, being a championship, contending for championships, being a top 20 program. And that's what we want to do. And, you know, our kids work really hard at it. And we have a great bunch of players. And I think that's another thing I really sell as our, as our players. What's it like being the daughter-in-law of the Big Hoove? You know, it's pretty. It's been pretty amazing in the last uh, last couple of you know, and, and all throughout. I mean, he's, he's had some great women's players too when he was on the women's side. I know Whitney Jennings. We spoke with a little bit before she went to Iowa. Um, my daughter is is wanting to move and play at Blackford herself. I don't know how we're going to manage that. Wake Forest campus not moving that far away, so <laughs> I think her and her dad might be uh, commuting. Um, but it's been, you know, it's just been so fun to watch what he's been able to do in that community. And, um, you know, we don't get to spend near as much time up there as we'd like to. We tend to go up at least one week, if not two weeks every summer and, uh, spend time up there. And, uh, you know, it's always a lot of fun, but, you know, Jerry's always busy now. He's always got camps going on. So we get to see a little bit of him, but not a ton. Um, but you know, it is, it's been an honor to be, uh, you know, he's one of the legends out there. His Hall of Fame speech I thought was phenomenal, and I didn't get to go to it because of practices and everything else. But John obviously went, and um, you know, we we you know we we take, we're really proud of him. That's for sure. You know, if we could all be doing what he's doing at his age with the passion that he has, I guess we'd be extremely lucky, wouldn't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What you know, uh, we're we're having this interview during the world crisis with the coronavirus what has what has that done to basketball teams uh, how are you guys handling it how's that uh, with recruiting uh, uh, do you have meetings with your team daily I mean how how did that affect this season I don't know at what point you guys were it was the uh, ACC tournament already over I mean uh, give us a little bit better rundown of what this um, pandemic has done to basketball you know it's, it's been tough um, you know, obviously we all understand and think the, the decisions that have been made were the right decisions, but that doesn't make it any easier on your team or, or us as coaches or, or even just our fans. Uh, you know, we were in a situation where we, we had a great run in Greensboro and, you know, we, we finished, uh, you know, our last game we weren't real excited about. We, we ran out of gas and got kind of blown off the floor by Florida State in the quarterfinals, but we had uh, beat North Carolina in the first round, and then we had upset Virginia Tech in the second round. And for me, that's nothing sweeter than beating those two Virginia schools when I can. And in and, and, and such a monumental game, that was huge for us. Um, and then, you know, we had such an excitement kind of uh, that week, and we had we had let our kids – our kids, we were on spring break the next week, so we let our team go home and told them, be back Wednesday. We'll have practice on Thursday for the NIT. We knew we would we're more than likely get an NIT bid, and, and that was something this, this team really wanted to get back to postseason. And they wanted to go to the NCAA, but we knew that that was going to be a tough call. We were going to have to win the ACC tournament for that, and I think we went in with that mission. But, that's, you know, you got to play five games in five days if you don't finish above the 10th uh, the spot. So um, – we brought them back, and by then, my husband and I had gone to the men's ACC tournament. And the first day, our t- our men's team played, and you know had a great time there. And 
stuff was starting to rumble, rumble and even worse. And then the next day, my husband went back, and then the next day was the day they canceled the tournament. And Thursday, we got our team together. Uh, they were coming in for practice, but we uh, brought them in and fed them lunch and had a meeting. And you know, our new AD, John Curry, has just been phenomenal. Uh, spoke to the team and told them how excited he was, but kind of announced to them what was going on and what was happening. And then um, I had a chance to talk to him and basically that was our end of the year banquet, our seniors goodbye, our end of the season. Like it was everything all in one. It was just like so abrupt. And I think it was just tough for all of us. Like I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to handle it as a coach, you know, in a leader, leadership position other than our number one priority was to get our kids home safely. And we have, we had five international kids that we had to figure out how, what flights we could get them on and how quickly we could get them out of here. Um, and so that became, you know, mom hat almost went on immediately with myself and our staff on getting flights and getting these kids to their homes as safely and quickly as we possibly could. So it was tough, you know, and, and I think, you know, now it's, it's, you know, we've been a month now without our kids. We, we do zoom meetings. We, you know, it's just a matter of trying to, you know, keep seeing the hope and being having the faith that we're all going to come out of this. And we know none of us know exactly what that looks like or how that looks at this point. But right now, their academics, they're all, you know, working on their academics. They're all uh, working out in their homes as, as much as they can versus they really, most every one of our kids is in some sort of stay at home order themselves, no matter if they're in Serbia or France or Canada or, um, you know, any of them. So they're, they're, kind of doing the best they can with where they are and uh, our top priority is for them and their families to stay safe and just encouraging them that that this will all will all get well we're all going to come out of it so it's been tough though it's it's tough for myself and it's it's been tough on all of us so uh you know I give our kudos to, the, to our players I think they're pretty resilient and you know although they were disappointed that the season ended so abruptly they're super excited for next year and and they start kind of turning their eyes towards that already what do the Demon Deacons look like for the 2021 season? Well, we, we returned five of our top scores. We, we, we lost a kid as a senior, an Australian, um, that was a four-year starter for us. So there will be some big shoes to fill there. Um, but we're excited about it, you know, coming off, building off of the momentum we kind of established this year, uh, our, leading, our leading score of returns, and, and then our, our point guard who, you know, I would say some people – nicknamed Clutch Conti this year. She had a game winner at Duke and then hit a tying three-pointer with three seconds left against Carolina at home to send us into overtime, which we've been won. Um, you know, I think the, the two of them are going to be seniors next year, and, and they've got a one fellow senior teammate, Maya Banks, who was big for us in the ACC tournament. I, I just know all three of those are just so excited about building off of what we did this year. And, you know, this year was such a bounce back year for us because the year before we really struggled. We we lost two of our best players for the majority of the year. The Australian kid was one of them, and then we had an Italian that we lost for most of the year, and, and we won one conference game. So this year to come back and win seven conference games, and then make the run in the tournament, uh, this group knows and believes in themselves, and they they love each other. They really love and enjoy being around each other. Uh, this has been tough on them because they don't get to see each other either. So we are. Uh, doing some virtual meetings so that you get to see each other and say hello. And it's kind of always cute to see the reactions and stuff like that. They still group chat and stay in touch with each other, but it's just different when you're all together. What, what kind of relationship or where is your office compared to the men's basketball office? Uh, right now. So we moved into some, to some beautiful new buildings. Um, 
the Shaw Basketball Complex and the Sutton Sports Performance Center. And so our offices are side by side. We share, we even share kind of a, a film room. It's almost like an IMAX theater that we use for recruiting both of us. Um, and then they're on the right side is all their offices and on the left side is all our offices. And then they're connected to a new practice gym that is our men's gym that we used for the beginning of this year while our gym was gutted and totally redone. And so uh, we're right there beside each other. We get to see them a lot, which is nice. Uh, football is also in our building. They're on the fifth, they're on the fourth floor and we're on the third floor. Uh, you know, one of the unique things about Wake is we only have 16 sports, but we're one family across the board there. And so it's neat to be able to run into other coaches. And you know, Jen Avery has won three national championships and been there since, the year after I left as a student is, is a phenomenal coach. It's on our campus, our soccer coach, Bobby Muse. Just I could go down the list. Uh, Tony Bresky won a national championship, the men's tennis team. So, you know, those are some of our greatest resources uh, for me is, like, we have some of the best coaches on in the country on our campus. So it's been nice. You know, I haven't given you time to think about this uh, this last question, but what has basketball led you to be able to do and coaching basketball being able to led you to do where you, you've met someone or you have done something that you probably wouldn't have been able to do or have done if you weren't coaching basketball? Maybe a couple favorite moments or you've met someone that you never would have met. Do you have any of those uh, off the top of your head? I would think I would say some of the things that's probably I mean for me what basketball has done for me is just the relationships I've been able to build with these you know the young ladies I get to coach and and the travel like I probably never would have traveled uh, around the world as much as I have um, we we do recruit internationally here uh, I've been to Australia I've been to Greece to sign to recruit our Serbian kid because she was playing and living in Greece at the time um, you know. I just wouldn't have, you know, as a player, when I played in Sweden, we went to London, we went to Prague, we went, there, there was parts of this country that I would have never dreamt that I'd ever gone to play and seen. And basketball was the vehicle to allow me to do all that. And, and on a team, because I'm not one of those that would have backpacked across Europe by myself or with a one friend. I mean, I, you know, I, again, that's the me being in a group setting and, you know, I've met a lot of, you know, unbelievable people and leaders and mentors along the way, but I would say it's, it's the players that I've, I've had the chance to coach and their families that have trusted and believed in me, you know, from being an assistant with many, uh, many of them to now being head coach and watching those players go on and have babies. And many of those players, even coaching now has been, you know, just kind of watching their growth and watching them grow into these great leaders. And that's been the, the most rewarding thing for me as a coach, you know, the W's and the wins and losses are tough. Like, you know, I'm as competitive as the next person, but, uh, it's to me, it's about winning in life, and and that's what you know. I I mean, graduation day is one of my favorite days, and another thing that's really tough with this COVID nineteen stuff going on is graduation at Wake is just a monumental. I mean, it is in a lot of places, but it's beautiful. It's out on our quad, and it's an unbelievable kind of ceremony reception, rites passage of you know rites of passage type thing. And these seniors aren't going to get it. Like they're they're going to do some kind of virtual conferring of the degrees, and then I think they'll have some sort of ceremony delayed, and they're trying to figure out when that's going to be. But uh, it doesn't lessen anything they've done here or accomplished at Wake Forest across the board as a student body. But it it definitely is a different uh, feel to it. An hour goes by pretty fast, doesn't it? I know. <laughs> well, I'm a talker, so it's pretty easy for me to talk for an hour. <laughs> well, what, what is always interesting when I do these interviews, people are like, you know, especially with some coaches and players, they're like, 
an hour, 45 minutes. To, what am I going to talk about? And then I can't shut them up. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, coach uh, Jennifer Hoover, uh, head coach of the Wake Forest uh, Women's Demon Deacon basketball team. Thank you so much for uh, uh, spending some time with us. I, I think everyone will enjoy. And uh, uh, good luck on uh, the rest of uh, or on the uh, 2021 season. Thank you so much. Go Deeks.